Join us right now on MMA FanCast. International Fight Week has come and gone. Amanda Nunez ducked out of a fight. She made weight and said no go. We'll talk about that. We talk about Robert Whitaker's amazing win against Yoel Romero. We talk about Alistair Overeem and the heavyweight division of the UFC being in trouble, being in shambles. And we talk about the amazing fight that happened at Tough Enough 25. We'll talk about Justin Gaethje's debut in the UFC. Goldie, take it from here. Hey, this is Mike Goldberg, the voice of Bellator MMA on Spike. Join us right now for MMA FanCast. Welcome back and thank you for joining us here on MMA FanCast brought to you by Octagon247.com. As my buddy Goldie just stated, you are listening to MMA FanCast and it is so great to be here with you. So great to experience International Fight Week even if it was rained upon by decision making that is certainly questionable we're going to get into all of those things as we progress here Um, but there is a lot of action that happened this weekend we had on friday night uh we had the the ultimate fighter 25 the the finale and we're going to get into one of the fights, which was Justin Gaethje and uh, Michael Johnson. And if you haven't seen that fight, if you did not, uh, you know, fr- between Friday and Saturday night, you, you know, there were fights both nights. And you, you obviously you're, you're going to choose Saturday night. And so maybe Friday night you went out. Maybe Friday night you went in. And did something. I am hoping that if you're listening to this podcast, that you DVR'd that fight. And if you if you didn't, you need to find it on YouTube, because that was a fight for the ages. That was a great, exciting fight to watch. You don't get to see those kind of fights very often, where one guy's on the verge of being knocked out and then he comes back and clears the cobwebs and is on the verge of being knocked out again and and then ends up winning the fight it was a beautiful dis, uh, display by Justin Gaethje a beautiful display of heart of will of might of what he brings to the UFC the 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 drive within him is almost unparalleled when you take a look at his unwillingness to wilt his unwillingness to even go down when he looks like he's out on his feet and and so it was a great way to start the great way to main event um the friday night card and to start uh the the pay-per-view off the following night because they did have a chance to show it and rightfully so Gaethje really looked good and I think they showed um yeah now that I think about it during the um pay-per-view was it on the pay-per-view or the prelims I'm not I'm not sure but I they certainly showed highlights of that fight and what highlights they were if you didn't get a chance to see that I would like I said, you, you, that's something you need to do. Uh, it was it was absolutely awesome. I I think I referred to it as one of the most exciting fights I've ever seen. Not necessarily the best fight ever. It was a great fight by all means, but it was a very exciting fight, and um, you know one that you'll certainly want to uh, want to watch. Speaking of which, Dana White was asked after that fight 
what what the what the top of the division looked like, and and basically asking you know with Conor McGregor boxing and and uh, does Gaethje's Gaethje jumping up and is he going to be fighting? Uh, who's he going to be fighting? Is this going to be a Gaethje Ferguson thing or or what? And this is is was Dana White's response. I, I actually still want to see Khabib versus Tony. So that fight's got to happen first. You're still committed doesn't to doesn't have that. to happen first, but I kind of like to see it. Anything can happen. Anything is possible. But, you know, we'll see how this thing plays out. You know, uh, I, I know that Khabib is, is set up to come to Las Vegas and go to the Performance Institute and work with the nutritionist there and uh, some therapists. But if he's not ready to fight, I, I, I do, I do Gaethje and Tony. So Dana didn't really hesitate to say, hey, I would put Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje in the in the octagon together. And that just goes to show the level of respect that Justin Gaethje has quickly um, earned. You know, they they didn't they didn't cushion this transition from World Series of Fighting to the UFC. They threw him right in there with a, a a really good fighter. And when you're ranked number five in the UFC in the lightweight division, you are a really good fighter. Now, Michael Johnson most recently, I think that's his, his most recent fight was against Habib. Um, and he got, you know, pretty well manhandled, but that uh, that's a matchup. Um, you know, when when it was on the feet, Michael Johnson had the clear advantage, and then Habib was able to get the takedowns as he has been able to get against everyone he's fought, and it was all over from there. How Justin Gaethje fought, the, the, the way he fought was really what made that exciting and what made that... Um, what actually the way they both fought, but the determination to come back from almost being out. He's he's a fun guy to watch. It was exciting to see a debut like this. Who walks into the UFC, gets uh, a top five opponent right off the bat, and no no welcome, no cushion, and almost is knocked out several times holds on and pulls off an amazing uh amazing win. And so uh, Gaethje, who knows what's what uh the sky's the limit for him. I don't think he has the the ability to be a champion in this division. Um I think he's super exciting. I think he's got a lot of heart and a lot of a lot of things. I just see there being a He's he's not the most athletic guy in the world, and when you get guys that are like Connor and, um, you know, Habib and um, why can't I think of his name? When you get those guys at the top of the division, that's there's I Michael Johnson's a very good fighter, and he's not at the level that your McGregor's and your. Uh, top of the lightweight division are but those are all those are all great fighters it was it was great to see a debut like that and and kudos to him he hey who knows he may have the heart to overcome the difference in athleticism and 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 speed really i mean he has the power i just don't think he has the speed lightweight division those guys are so lightning fast as a matter of fact when you go from watching um some of the light weight fighters or or the lighter weight classes and then you watch a heavyweight fight like Verdum and Overeem it, it it's almost hard to watch how slow they are compared to those quick uh light guys um but they also obviously bring the power that those those lighter guys don't bring okay so we have a great night of fights Friday night, capped off by a great main event, and then we roll into Saturday, and this is where it all kind of went downhill.
Um, well, not downhill. All of it went downhill. But as far as the main event goes, it went downhill. Long story short, Amanda Nunez had a bad weight cut. Wasn't feeling very well. Not sick. Uh, cleared by doctors. All those things. Wasn't feeling well from that weight cut. From the strain of that weight cut. And Friday, or Saturday morning decided she couldn't go. And so she... Bailed out of the fight, and now we're left without a main event. The co-main event, which is Yoel Romero and Robert Whitaker, gets slid into main event status, which, to be honest, I think for me, that was the main event for me anyway. Um, that was the fight I most wanted to see. That was the matchup I liked the best and the most anticipation. If that fight would have been scrapped, um, that would have been more detrimental to me personally than, than the Nunez fight. However, it was still a blow. It was still a hit and not a, not a hit you want to take. Um, but Dana White, uh, he also discussed the situation with Nunez and we'll hear that here. So after the weigh-in yesterday, she weighed in, she made weight. Then, uh, leading up to the ceremonial weigh-ins, I, I, I got a call that she wasn't feeling well. Um, and it was questionable whether she was going to show up to the ceremonials because the doctor needed to see her and, you know, they needed to find out what was going on with her. So, she does them. Everything's good. This morning I wake up and uh, I hear that she's not feeling well again and she wants to... Uh, no. She's not feeling well again and... She's probably not going to fight. So I asked the doctors what's wrong with her. She was medically cleared. She was physically okay. They found nothing wrong with her. Um, but she didn't feel right. She said, I don't feel right. I don't feel good. I think that it was, uh, you know, 90% mental and maybe 10% physical. You see, that's just not what you do. You don't make weight. And then pull out of the fight from the weight cut, from the strain of the weight cut. You didn't make weight is essentially what that is. That's unprofessional. You may have made the actual weight, but if the effects of that do not allow you to fight or feel comfortable enough to fight, then you didn't make weight. And that's no, that's a no-no. Now, I know that there are situations and circumstances, and I get all that. And I like what Chael Sonnen says. When people sign a contract to, to be a certain weight at a certain time to fight the next day, then they got to do what it takes to make that happen. And she did not do what it took to make that happen. I have very little, I, it's unprofessional. I have very little, um, there's very little excuse for it. Missing weight. No one's forcing you to fight in a certain weight class. If you sign a contract, you are saying, I will be at this weight. And to, to, to not be there is you not living up to your word. When you sign that contract, you're saying, I will make sure I'm at that weight. And if you eat your eat too much and you're not keeping your weight down enough to make that weight in a safe and reasonable manner, then you've cheated your company, you've cheated yourself, and it is not good. End of story. That's, that's as much as there is to it. And I think there should be a more severe punishment than what has been suggested. Um, here's what Dana said about Nunez main eventing. She's on a fantastic run, but how does that impact? I mean, does that concern you moving forward? Like, can I put this woman in a main event slot? And Yeah, I won't do that again. I won't main event uh, that title again. So that's clear. You have just lost the trust of the, the big boss. You've just lost the trust of the top man of the company. You didn't even miss weight. 
what you did was worse. You could have fought and the doctors cleared you and you chose to pull out of the fight. To me, that is inexcusable. You're, contra- you're breaking your contract. You're, you're saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sign my name to that. And, I, I, and, and then she just says, well, I don't feel up to it. Now, listen, if, if she came down with an illness, I would be singing a different story. But she was not sick. She was, it was a self-inflicted sick. Now, people come up with all kind of different excuses. And they're, some of them may be legitimate. Most of them, I doubt, are. I, I have very little. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. And and she did not do it in this instance. And poor Valentina, she Shev, Shevchenko, she uh, loses out on a payday. I don't know if the UFC is going to pay her or not. Um, she certainly loses out on the chance at a championship, uh, which brings a great amount of money and a great amount of uh, recognition and just as a life-changing thing, obviously. Um, so you got to feel for her. I think that fight will still happen, but um, she was ready and her opponent wasn't, and that's not fair. <laughs> and uh, it's a, it's it's a shame. Here's what she had to say. Dana said that Amanda was cleared, medically cleared. How does that, how did that make you feel? That seemed to be the, the real point that really angered you. Yes, when you receive this notice that you are you can fight, but you already don't want fight, it's like um, I don't know. You had all these three months to prepare you to prepare for this. I have to fight. I have to put all my power. I have to put everything on the fight, and this is like not a. It's a big event. It's a huge event, and this is you cannot just say, "Oh no." I'm sorry, I don't feel good today. No. I hope she knows what she's doing. I know I know exactly why she's doing this, and everybody knows. I think it's clear there that Valentina is suggesting that Nunez knew she was going to uh, lose the fight and pulled out because of that. Obviously, I I believe that... Is probably true. I mean, I don't question that she didn't feel well. The thing is, she wasn't sick. That's the difference. If you have a bad weight cut and you don't feel well because of it, well, sorry, too bad. You, you, you're contracted to be at this weight and um, you need to be there and you need to fight. And not doing that is breaking your contract. And that's unprofessional. End of story. Um, it's kind of interesting, uh, Joanna, Joanna, who is the 115, uh, pound champion was willing to step up and fight the 135 pound Shevchenko. And, uh, here's what she said about that. It was not only for fun or for PR. Uh, I am a professional athlete, and I was really willing to fight. You know, it, it was uh, you know it was very close actually because it was about the pregnancy test. It was not enough time to get the the result. They need 72 hours to get the result. You know, I'm not crazy about the about Valentina and fighting with her. It was only uh, for the fans uh, to help uh, rescue the show. UFC 213. Joanna says, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this for the fans. I just wanted to give them a, a fight. Uh, and uh, that's admirable. I mean, how cool is that? What prevented that from happening was that uh, jo- for women's MMA, um, they have to take a pregnancy test. And the level of testing that they take is... Um, it takes 72 hours. So they could, they would, the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission would not sanction that bout due to um, not having 
the ability to uh, give her a pregnancy test. Um, unfortunate, because <laughs> who wouldn't have liked to see that? Uh, Joanna, Jacek, yeah, that too. I can never. Jedracek. I say Jedracek, but that's wrong. Um, Joanna, to go up, I mean, she would have weighed right around 135 for the fight, but that's probably a, not the best of shape weight. Um, not that she would be grossly out of shape, but obviously not fin have, having finished a training camp. But it would have certainly been interesting to see that matchup. Unfortunately, it wasn't able to happen, and we were stuck with that. Um, taking a look at the results of the pay-per-view um, at UFC 213, we had in the main event, we had Robert Whitaker squaring off against Yoel Romero, and it was a, a, a pretty good fight, particularly the first three rounds were pretty competitive and very uh, just quality uh, quality fighting going on there. Um, Romero, uh, this guy is unbelievable. 40 years old. I think he's 40. He might be 41. I, I don't know. I know he's at least 40. Looks like a 25-year-old physically. But he didn't have the stamina in this fight. Kind of won the... First two rounds on all the judges' scorecards. Uh, the first round was pretty close. And the second one, he, he uh, in my opinion, he clearly won that one. Um, and then lost the next three rounds on, I think, on all the judges' scorecards. Without having looked at the judges' scorecards, uh, I'm going to make that assumption. Um, Whitaker, he is, uh, he's, a, he's a pretty bad dude. I have a feeling that uh, Michael Bisbing is biting off far more than he can chew with with Mr. Whitaker. Um, I don't think that Whitaker is going to have all that much problem. Now, so if Romero would have won that fight, I I would actually think of all the people at the top of the the middleweight division that. Bisbing had the best chance against Romero. Because I think he could outbox him. If he can keep it standing, keep it a boxing match, and avoid the power shot early, I think he could chip away at him. Do I think he would? Probably not. But I think he could. I think that's his best chance against one of the top guys. But... It was Robert Whitaker, and I do not like that matchup for Bisping. I think this is a bad matchup for him. I think the power that Whitaker has is clearly is different than that of Yoel Romero. I think that I don't think that um, Bisping will be able to box and bully him. You know, with the with the um, typical Bisbing boxing, which he does very well, um, I think Whitaker can hang with that. And I think that could bring out the best in him. Um, I don't think that's a fight that goes past the third round. I would say a third round TKO for, for Whitaker will probably be my pick. At least it is as of now. Um, and Whitaker picked up the unanimous decision and then there was a, Bisping came in the cage to kind of promote their upcoming clash. You know, they kind of, I don't know that I've gotten closure over the uh, GSP thing. I think that still needs to be addressed. Like what the deal is with that and when, and GSP is coming back now at 170 instead of 185. And I don't know that I really got um, a clear explanation to what that was all about. But uh, 
it is what it is at this point. Now, um, Whitaker talked about, after the fight, he talked about his feelings for Michael Bisping, who was not quite respectful of Romero. And he kind of threw his belt. If you saw the post-fight in cage interview, um, he, he threw his belt down and kind of tried to embarrass Whitaker, which Whitaker's such a class guy. He just kind of, well, you, you'll listen to him. Michael Bisping is Michael Bisping. Um, I'm the type of fighter that goes into every fight with no ill will towards any of my opponents. I'm an athlete first and foremost, and I, you know, we, we, we love the sport. Uh, I actually respect Michael Bisping. I respect him as the champion, even though he's injured and on the bench, and that's why there's an interim champ. Um, I respect him. I really do. I have a lot of respect for him. But, you know, we're going to touch gloves now. It's, it's, it's fate. We have to fight now. And uh, when we do, you know, there's going to be no mercy. So a very respectful and classy Robert Whitaker uh, versus Michael Bisping, who can be have very little of those things in many instances. Um, so that was the main event and it was, a, it was a good fight. It was a quality fight. Uh, I think the fans walked away happy after that fight. And, and uh, so it is what it is. Um, happy to see Whitaker. Uh, he seems like a really good guy. You, you, you just hear him, talk he's very respectful he's very much um in that kind of mode hey at some point i think bisbing could annoy him enough that it'd be nice to see him uh jaw back at at bisbing but who knows he may be able to keep this smile uh long enough but bisbing can really irritate people and that's part of his I think part of both his personality and part of his the character he plays. Uh, so the co-main event became the number one contender fight, which we'll talk more about that, which was Alistair Overeem versus Fabricio Verdum. And Overeem got the... Majority decision. There's a lot of question about whether that was the right decision or not. Uh, I tended to lean towards Verdum. I know some other people did, and just as many other people leaned toward Overeem. It was a very lackluster fight, in my opinion. These two... uh, this was a good reminder for me that the heavyweight division is not where it needs to be. It's a reminder to me that I have no desire to see Stipe fight a rematch with Overeem. I was there in Cleveland at UFC 203 to see the first fight. And yes... Stipe got clipped a little bit and was in danger. But that was very short-lived and more of a fluke than anything else. And Stipe was able to end that fight very quickly after that. And I think that that'll be the case once again. I think this will look like the JD uh, Junior Dos Santos fight. I think it'll end quickly like that. You don't want to... Well, it ended quickly the first time, although there was it was an exciting round. I think the rematch could not be exciting. I think that Stipe has come a long way. Stipe is a man on top of a mountain that everyone else has gone over the, the side of the mountain. They, they, they rose up, and now they're on their decline. And he is still at the peak. He's still at the top of the mountain, and there's no one close. And I'm not saying that he's this amazing once-in-a-lifetime talent. He's very, very, very good. But normally when you got a guy that's very, very, very good, there's another guy that's 
just a little bit worse. And everyone in this instance that he's competing with is a lot worse. So I think that Stipe could have the belt for a number of years. I talked about this on a YouTube video. You can check that out on Octagon 24-7's YouTube page. And I, I went on a little more depth into um, the heavyweight division in the UFC and why it is in bad shape. This is what Alistair Overeem had to say about his victory over Fabricio Verdum. Well, I'm very proud. I uh, believe that the first two and a half rounds, yeah, I was dominating, picking my shots. Uh, the third round was not, not too clean, if I'm, if I'm honest. All the respect to Fabricio. His striking is improving uh, with every fight, it seems. He's a tough opponent. He's there to fight. I clipped him a couple times hard, I cut him, I rocked him, he rocked me. You know, when you fight a caliber as Fabricio, you know it's, gonna, it's, it's not going to be easy. And I think uh, in the second fight he outstruck me, I, I outgrappled him, I had that victory. Um, and in this one, yeah, to me, I, I was controlling the first two and a half rounds. And, uh, but again, respect him. He's there to fight and he's, he's not a walk-off. So Alistair Overeem gets the win. And most likely gets the rematch with Stipe. Not a rematch. I'm excited. I mean, I'm still going to watch it. And I'm still uh, like seeing Stipe. But boy, I'd like to see some fights that I look forward to for Stipe. And I just don't see those on the horizon. I don't see those happening anytime soon. I don't see anyone that I will get excited to see Stipe fight for a while. Because the guys that are on on the list in the top 10 are, one, guys that aren't on Stipe's level because they're past their prime or because they're just not, not at that level. And two, none of them are these youthful guys that are coming up to... to, to, to bring the division up and to kind of rotate that top 10 rotate those old guys. So they have room to drop. See these, these older guys are staying in the top 10 because there's no one, no one stepping up and winning fights. No one that's better than them that are the younger crop. And that's disheartening to me because I believe this sport now that it's 20 plus years old should start to have those athletes that are elite level athletes. And it's a shame that we haven't seen that yet. Curtis blades. Uh, he was the, the given a great opportunity on the pay-per-view. This was a huge, huge opportunity for him and unfortunately, I was I was super excited for him. He fought Adam Milstead uh, couple, four or five months ago, and Adam Milstead hurt his knee pretty bad. Adam Milstead's a Pittsburgh guy. He uh, he's you know uh, I know friends of friends, and and so a guy that's real easy to root for being a Pittsburgher. Uh, Pittsburgh through and through. I mean, the guy is, you know, all <laughs> has Pittsburgh thumbprint all over him. Um, and so real easy guy for us to root for. Curtis Blades pretty much ran through him. Uh, Milstead had a, got his knee injured, but I mean, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't happening. It wasn't a good matchup for him. The uh, Blades was much thinner in this fight and there there was a huge weight discrepancy with blades and with Milstead and just the way they looked um but blades was in better shape but he wasn't he wasn't the fighter 
than he was against Milstead. He was a complete animal against Milstead. Now, Adam Milstead is a bad, tough dude. From what I understand, and this is just from my sources, um, Adam Milstead will be fighting at 205 going forward. So, you know, he's like one of those tweeners, like that like that Forrest Griffin guy that's got a really cut and and he I don't think he really wants to make that cut uh but I think he's going to have to. I just don't think he can compete with that huge weight difference um that he's going to have. But he I mean, I if he's training hard, I I bet you he's going to be at the like 228 kind of that guy. So for him to get down to 205 um, it'll, it'll take a lot for him, but I think that he will be, he will be a beast at 205. I think he can make some noise at 205, but at heavyweight, I think there's just too much of a difference. Anyway, Curtis Blades manhandled him and, and granted he had the knee injury, but it wasn't looking good. And he was tossing him around like a rag doll and he looked really good and so I was excited for him for this fight for this opportunity on the pay-per-view on international fight week to be in the middle of uh, you know the the third fight he was there's the main event the co-main event and Curtis Blades this was his showcase they were giving him the stage they were handing him the torch and saying go run with this be our next big heavyweight be our next stud in the heavyweight division. Put yourself in the top 10. Be impressive and get there. And no, that did not happen. It didn't happen and it didn't, it, he didn't, he just didn't look good. And so he got the win though. That's the thing. He fought uh, uh, Daniel Omilonchek and, and he got the, Unanimous decision. He won every round. It was each round was pretty competitive, uh, but he did win each round. And but it was far from the decisive win. The it wasn't a good. It what? No one got excited for that fight. No one got excited for him. And uh, and so I think there's he's young. I mean. When I say young, he's 26. Uh, they make him sound a lot younger than that in the broadcast. They made him sound like he was a 22-year-old kid. But, you know, he's on the he's closer to 30 now than he is to 20. And so, I don't think he's super young, and I think he has the opportunity now to go out and learn from the things that weren't his more impressive stuff. He went. He was in far better shape than he was. Like from a physical standpoint, he looked trimmer. He looked uh, much leaner. Uh, he had more definition. And so, when I first saw him, I was like, "Wow, this dude's like going to be an animal here." And it could be a difference in competition. I don't know. I tend to think Adam Milstead's a pretty, pretty bad dude, but. That, you know, frame and build just may not have been a good uh, a good fit for the UFC heavyweight division. On the uh, fourth, uh, the second fight into the pay-per-view, uh, we had Anthony Showtime Pettis facing off against Jim Miller. And he also got... Uh, three scorecards of 30-27, unanimous decision. Um, he looked really good. He looked fast again. I mean, he had lost, I think, four of his last five fights. Things were not going well for him, and he turned it around uh, to make that fight happen. He turned it around and was able to, to, to look like the Anthony Pettis that made people excited, that made... That there was a highlight reel, the Benson Henderson kick. He did some unique things and he looked good doing it. And 
Jim Miller's a, 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 a quality guy, a quality opponent, and uh, he, he looked good against him. He even had top position and did some ground and pound, and Jim Miller's a grappler and, and uh, has very good jiu-jitsu and very good wrestling. And so uh, the fact that Pettis was able to um, keep top position and uh, it's really a testament to the work he's been putting in. So um, nice to see that. And this is what Anthony Pettis um, had to say after his battle with Jim Miller. I felt this way uh, when I went on my title run. I mean, when I, when I beat Lozon, Cerrone, Henderson all in the first round, I just felt confident in uh, my skill set. You know, I've worked really hard on my, on my wrestling with uh, Israel Martinez, um, and I wanted him to, to, to shoot, to take a shot on me to show him I had that defense there. Um, I had the range. I felt strong. I hurt my hand in, like, the second round. The same, the same injury as the Holloway fight, so uh, I stopped throwing that right hand, but um, everything else worked good. That is right. Everything else did look good for him. It was a good showing. It was a good, um, a, a good battle. Um, he really showed that he um, can be the fighter that uh, the consistency just hasn't been there for for Anthony Pettis. Let's be honest. Sometimes he looks like a world beater, and other times he looks like he gets beaten by the world. He doesn't. He he has looked phenomenal at times and at times he has looked as though he was a shell of himself and so for him to show the old Anthony Pettis again it didn't go away he didn't lose it he just got to find the consistency so he still has age on his side um he could really I think he has the talent to be a beast he has the talent to do it now the question is can he um, and we, that's a, uh, matter that will be determined. Um, a really, really impressive, uh, and, and, and another person that really had a great, uh, opportunity here to lead off the pay-per-view was Rob Font. And he got a, a great guillotine submission on Douglas Silva D'Andrade. Uh, Andrade just uh, was nowhere to be found in this fight. It was a it was a pretty much a domination for Font, and a, a great way to take advantage. Like I said, when when you get opportunities in life, not just in MMA or uh, you know, when you have an opportunity where it can be life changing, and and you know it, and you find a way to make it happen and for it to happen and be good, there's nothing better. So Rob Font steps up. He gets a big second-round guillotine submission and just a a great way to start off the pay-per-view. It was a good night of fights. Uh, On the... Undercard, Travis Brown uh, had a performance that led Dana White to suggest that he just needs to retire. And I do not disagree with Dana White. I think that Travis Brown's fighting days are over. Can he win some fights? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Is he going to be anywhere near where he once was? Considered by many to be a top fighter in the heavyweight division? Considered by many to be championship material? Considered by many, including myself, to be uh, have a potential to take to be a cha- to be the champion of the division? Um. He's he's gone. He's nowhere near that at this point, and I don't think that's coming back. I think he's lost it. I I don't know. I I most likely think it's a lack of focus and desire. Uh, I think that he is 
content and uh, isn't hungry. That's the way he fights. He fights like he's not hungry. He fights like he's complacent. He doesn't fight with desperation. He doesn't fight like he's hungry, like he's a an animal. He does he just doesn't fight like that anymore. So he's gonna have uh who 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 would you match him up against at this point? I mean, Travis Brown, I don't know if he's beating like What's an attractive fight for him? Who would he who would he request? They said, Travis, who do you want to who do you want to fight? What, what what would be a good fight for him? I'm trying to just imagine who I would match him up with if if I was a UFC matchmaker, and I just don't know. I I don't. There's no good matchup. Four in a row, he's lost. Six of his last eight. He does have a win against Matt Mitrione in two thousand at the beginning of last year, two thousand sixteen in January. Uh, that's crazy, but he lost to Cain Velasquez in July. Then he lost to Fabricio Verdum in September. In just this February, he lost to Derek Lewis. And now he gets submitted with a rear naked. So where do you take him from here? Before that, he lost to Andre Arlovsky. He beat Brendan Schaub and lost to Fabricio Verdum. At one point, he had beaten... Gabriel Gonzaga, Alistair Overeem, and Josh Barnett. Three fights in a row. He was 16-1 at that point. With his only loss coming to Bigfoot Silva. And then he drops one to Fabricio Verdum. On the UFC on Fox card and... 2014, it's all been... That was a title eliminator bout. And he and he hasn't... I mean, I saw him fight live in, in, in Cleveland, and it, I just didn't see a guy that was fighting with heart. And I know he hurt his finger. I know he broke his finger or whatever and couldn't really punch, but... I mean, if you're just going to... I mean, you might as well throw in the flag, uh, the towel at that point. If you're if you're not gonna try to win, um, and he did he did not appear to me to be trying to win in that fight, and he did not appear to me to be trying to win. Well, he did in the first round of the of at UFC two thirteen, but I cannot say I disagree with um, with Dana in that assessment that it's time for him to call it a day. Had a, had a good run, time to time to call it a a, a day. Um, some other stuff happened. I don't really have anything of note um, on the card other than uh, Chad Lapree uh, defeating uh, Brian Camozzi in the third round, um, and then calling out our boy. Oh, I. You know, I got this um, microphone screen thing. I don't know what they're called. Pop protector, whatever. It's supposed to help when you spit or like popping sounds. I'm like making P's and T's and stuff. But it did help with spit just now because I had some spit on there. Um, Chad Lapree called out. I made a, you know, made a call out of um, Mickey Gall, and that that's a great call out in my book. That's a great call out. Get a guy who's going to help you make a name for yourself. And Mickey Gall has made a name for himself. He he's taking a page out of Mickey Gall's playbook. 
Who can I make a name off of? Who's the easiest guy that I can make a name off of? Now, for me, I would look at aging veterans as a better way rather than the young tiger. I would look at your, you know, 40-year-olds and not your 25-year-olds. I would look for the guys that aren't hungry anymore. I would call out your uh, the guy who's hanging on too long. That's what my my strategy would be. Okay, so I I know you know we we're gonna talk about um, we already talked about the Gaethje thing, um, and so I think we're gonna move on. What lies ahead? Uh, as we leave International Fight Week and we move on, we have this week. What's going on are the the the, the Mayweather press conferences. The the Mayweather McGregor press conferences are happening this week. On Tuesday, they'll be at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. On Wednesday, they'll be in Toronto, and actually. Uh, a note, they were supposed to be at the Sony Center for the Performing Arts, but due to uh, high demand, they are moving their location to somewhere else. Budweiser Stage or something like that? I don't know. But they had to move locations in Toronto. Uh, they're in, On Thursday, they are in Brooklyn, New York at the Barclays Center. And then Friday... July 14th, they are in Wembley, London, England at the SSE Arena. And that place will be crazy. The The Irish fans will be there. And I'm sure the English fans are McGregor fans as well. As we all are. But not the, the crazy ones are the, the Irish ones. Um... Dana White was recently asked, or last night was asked some questions about the uh, press conference. Here's here's what he had to say. Um, I think it's going to be a hybrid of the boxing uh, press conferences and UFC press conferences. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be more like a boxing press conference than it is our press conferences. You know, you know how mine are. No, we walk in. And, and, and we sit down and we, what's up? Who has the first question and we get it rolling? I think there's going to be a lot more in this one. But you'll be on the stage like as... What's that? Yeah, but, uh, so I'm going to sit there with a mic and when you ask me okay. a question, I will answer it. I'm, I'm not going to get up and give any speeches or do any, you know, anything like that. I think Connor and I will come in. Connor and I will sit down and we'll... we'll, 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 uh, we'll We'll answer questions when asked questions. I think that the the rest of the people that are going to come in, I think there's going to be a lot of people that come in and talk and, you know, a lot of speeches. I think these press conferences are going to be very interesting. I got to tell you, I think that uh, it's going to be a whole different, unique, dynamic thing. And I think it'll help to heat this thing up because I think... The boxing people are totally dismissing Conor McGregor. And I think this is his chance to get crazy and boisterous and get people fired up because I think people are fired up, but I think they're, uh, you know, it's an event, it's a spectacle. Everyone wants to see it. But I think most people don't think he has much of a chance. And I think he will convince people that he has a chance. That he will find a way to be competitive. That's like saying Mickey Gall was going to find, or uh, CM Punk was going to find a way to be competitive against Mickey Gall. To me, you can't just pick something up and expect to be competitive. But that's what... Um, that's what these press conferences are going to do. They're going to get people fired up, and it's going to make more people believe that he has a chance. Like Sahara, who actually picked him to win, which is complete insanity. Um, what else is ahead, lies ahead? Uh, this Tuesday, 
July 11th, Dana White's Contender Series starts. Five contender fights on Tuesday night. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of, yeah, I could get into that. You know, I, I, I'll watch it. I'm sure I'll watch it. Um, uh, Bellator 181 is in Thackerville, Oklahoma on Friday, July 14th. Uh, the same night as uh, the press conference will be in London. And so that is headlined by Derek Campos and, and Brandon Gertz. They are um, uh, in that lightweight battle. Uh, and Valerie Letourneau uh, is making her debut in Bellator, which I think she signed uh, when we were in Connecticut uh, covering Bellator 178. So that will be good. Um, also coming up on July 16th on Sunday is UFC Fight Night 113. It's in uh, Scotland. And it's headlined by Gunnar Nelson and Santiago Ponzinibbio. Uh, and... A fairly uneventful card here. Um, if there's ever a card you're not going to watch, this is like one of those. However, I will say that those kind of tend to be ones that you, know, you say afterwards. Uh, I wish I would have. I wish I just watched it because I heard so many good things about it. Um, as so, and then next Saturday, July 22nd, there is a Fox on UFC 25 cards. Crazy to really thinking about it that there have been 25 Fox cards already on uh, the UFC's had 25 Fox cards. That's, I mean, it doesn't seem like that long ago that um, the first Fox card was taking place. And that was actually a one fight heavyweight championship fight it was uh Cain Velas no yeah is it Cain Velasquez and uh Junior Dos Santos and that does not seem like that long ago like thinking about what I was doing but then when I think about Junior Dos Santos winning the belt you know then yeah that seems like a long time ago um but yeah I guess it was I mean how long is this Fox deal been going um must have must be six i don't know I, I i don't even know i'm gonna have to look that up but it's fox on uh ufc on fox 25 it is in uniondale new york which is in long island and the um it's a pretty nice card you got kelvin gastelum against chris weidman what a great main event these are two guys that uh both need a win uh, pretty badly. Well, Chris Weidman more so. Uh, I don't know. I mean, how how does how would a loss go here? I mean, Chris Weidman was on top of the world just very recently, and now he's struggling to even uh, get his hand raised. It's been a long time since he's had his hand raised. He's gone through some some uh, some battles. And so uh, he's come out on the on the bad side of that. Those uh, you got Dennis Bermudez and Darren Elkins with a very nice matchup there. Jean Vellante and Patrick Cummins. Um, ever since Cummins, other than his entry fight uh, against DC, he's looked very good, uh, and that was a short notice fight. So um, he's looked he's looked. He's looked good. And Jimmy Rivera, who looked really, really good against Uriah Faber in uh, UFC 205 um, that we covered live, will be fighting Thomas Almeida. It's a pretty good card. I think, um, you know, something to get excited about on the East Coast here. Uh, so, yeah, um, I will... Uh, so I just wanted to remind you guys, it is critically important for you guys to subscribe to this podcast here on iTunes or wh whatever you're listening to, to subscribe to us, 
to rate us and review us. Put a review on there. We don't have very many. I know that we're still a new podcast and we're making our way out there and the numbers are increasing, but we need you guys to do those things to keep us going. And also, we got we're starting to work uh put put together some stuff on the on a YouTube channel. So take a look at that as well. Uh, I got interviews, exclusive interviews with Scott Coker, Matt Mitrione from uh, Bellator uh, NYC, Bellator 180, um, and some other stuff I put on you know today. So be sure to take a look at all of that good stuff, good content, and uh, comment on those and, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That being said, I thank you all for joining us here today. Uh, We had a great international fight week, a couple nights of fights. Feel free to like us on our Facebook page. You can reach out to us there if you have any questions. You can tweet us. Um, And, yeah, we have the social media thing going. I think we have an Instagram account started as well. So feel free to get a hold of us if you have any questions or comments on the show. And we just thank you so much for uh, joining us. And with that being said, I like to say thank you have a great week and uh god bless and good night